Good morning, church. Welcome on this second Sunday of Lent as we celebrate the cross, as we look to what Jesus has done for us and within us in what God's great gift that was given. What a privilege to worship. Thank you, worship team, for this wonderful day of worship. We are back to the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The holiness of God's name. We come into this relationship with him. And this morning, I want us to continue in this sense of the start of the prayer, which is our pattern of prayer. Not just words that we repeat, but even when we're not saying these specific words, we follow this pattern of prayerfulness. We begin by making that connection, by coming into his presence, by recognizing his peace, by praising his name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to be looking at uh, this verse today. And keep in mind now, in, in this Hebrew, Hebrew poetry form of parallelism, where they restate lines over and over again. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my pathway. We see it all through the Proverbs. We see it in the Psalms. Let me just read you a few verses from Psalm 24, a Psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Who has clean hands and a pure heart? Who does not lift his soul to an idol or swear by what is false? Over and over we have this pattern of restating the case and amplifying the case. And that's what's happening here as Jesus talks about the will of God in our lives. Jesus is not deluded in this prayer. He's not thinking that, you know, just by man's goodness over and over, we're going to get to this heaven on earth. He's talking about the kingdom coming alive within each of us as we live for him. And so it repeats the thoughts. Thy kingdom come. How? By thy will being done perfectly in me on earth as it is in heaven. And so we recognize we talked at the end of chapter 5 about this call to Christian perfection. It's certainly not perfection in our actions. It's certainly not perfection in our service. It's perfection in our hearts. That we would fulfill our purpose. That purpose to do the perfect will of God. And so we pray that God's will would be done within us. It's a very personal part of the prayer as we approach our holy Heavenly Father. And so the first question we come to is, what is this kingdom of God? Well, any kingdom must have a king and subjects. We must, first of all, realize that he is God and we are not. We are called to serve him, and we gratefully serve him in response to what he has done for us. We are able to love because he first loved us. We are able to contemplate this time on the church calendar because of what he did on the cross. We focus on that sacrifice by sacrificing ourselves. And throughout Jesus' ministry and all of his parables, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is here, the kingdom of heaven is within you. Over and over, he talks about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And here, as he teaches us to pray, may your kingdom come. How does that kingdom come? By his will being done in our lives. 
Jesus spoke of this kingdom in three different ways, past, present, and future. In the past, he said the prophets, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. In Luke chapter 13, he says these patriarchs were prophets in the kingdom of God. So in the past, we read the word and it is our story and we recognize ourselves in that story as the emerging children of God are leading us toward Christ. In the past, it says in Hebrews, God spoke in many times and various ways through the prophets. Now he has spoken completely through his son, Jesus Christ. The radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. God spoke in the past. The kingdom of God was alive in the past. But he also speaks of it in the present tense. The kingdom is within you. Jesus spoke it to his disciples in the upper room. We began in those chapters in John many months ago. The kingdom abides within us. Jesus says, I have been with you and now I can be within you by my Holy Spirit. And then he speaks about the kingdom of God in the future here, even in this prayer. The future, let it come. May your kingdom come in all of the things that are coming. How can it be all three? Well, if Hebrew parallelism in in poetry is our guide here in the form, then The kingdom of heaven is doing the will of God. Your kingdom come, how? By your will being done. So anytime his will is done, the kingdom is presence. In the past, tied to history. In the present, all we can do now. We finished up last week in Romans 12 too, doing God's good, good, pleasing and perfect will. And we pray for the kingdom in the future. If anyone is not doing his will, we pray that they would... Come on in, join in the kingdom, be a part of this great purpose for God. The success of the gospel, looking for Christ's return, it's all about his kingdom. And his kingdom is in us and we are in it. Look in John's gospel once again. This is chapter 14. Look at verse 18 of that chapter. He says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And then down in verse 20, on that day, you will realize that I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you. He includes us in the Godhead. Peter says in one of his letters, we participate in the very divine nature. He says, I am one with the father and I am one with you. We are one in Christ Jesus. He prays it over just a few pages in John chapter 17 as he prays for us. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you in me, may they be brought to complete unity. Why? To let the world know that you sent me. This unity that he prays for within his kingdom is not just for our good feelings about being part of the kingdom. It is so that the world will see and follow as well. If we lift up Christ, he will draw all men to himself. So anytime his will is being done, the kingdom of God is present. We read it in the Old Testament. We live it in our lives now. And the kingdom is within us. So Christ's kingdom comes within us as we obey. And so we are part of his kingdom as we obey. Let me give you a few verses from John chapter 15. In verse 5, Jesus says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. If... A man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Jesus speaks of this double abiding. We abide in him, he abides within us. He says, if I abide in you and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. We recognize God's will as he lives within us. And so he calls us to this kingdom. So not only what the kingdom is, but the next question is, what's my role in that kingdom? How am I a participant in the kingdom of God and not just a spectator of what God is doing in Jesus Christ? And it's more than just a memorized prayer. It's not just that we repeat these words. We are praying that his kingdom will come and that only happens as I am willing to do his will. Therefore, what I'm praying is that I may do his will. And when I pray that sincerely, his kingdom is truly at hand. In our prayers, in our witness, in our service, the difficulty comes when some pray it insincerely. You know, bring your kingdom, just don't get me involved. Jesus says we are to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done within me. Perfectly, as it is done in heaven. May it be lived out now in my life. Let your love come through me. That's a serious prayer. And it points to my responsibility, my obedience to God's leadership in my life. What if we are not doing his will? Jesus said, if you are not for me, you are against me. Remember Jesus' letters to the churches in Revelation and the letter to the Laodicean church in chapter 3 of Revelation. He says, I wish you were either cold or hot, but you are lukewarm. It is repulsive to me, he said. He longs for us to be on board here, to be a complete part of his kingdom with everything that we are. And so if we claim Christianity, we want to live as a Christian. Now, every tool has principle that governs its use. If I have a perfectly good hammer, that is great for driving nail. Perfectly balanced, it will drive a nail if it's in the hand of a skilled worker. But if I have that perfectly good hammer and I need to tighten a screw, it is worthless. I need a screwdriver for that. And we have principles that guide our usefulness. Our purpose is to glorify God by our lives, by our witness, by our love, by our service. And I must follow that principle. I am designed to be his disciple. And I can be useful only as I am doing his will. And so I recognize that I'm never more like Jesus than when I pray, your will be done. Jesus' prayer in the garden. If it's possible, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. This is not always an easy prayer. It's perhaps the most difficult prayer that Jesus ever prayed. But for us, it's getting ourselves out of the way. It's letting go and trusting God. It releases me from the burden. It's up to God. He will fill me. He will use me. If I say, your will be done, not my will be done. And so God is worthy of our trust. He has proven that over and over again. Just as we, as earthly parents, try to earn the trust of our children... I played the game with each of my kids when they were toddlers. We would toss them in the air and catch them. And they would giggle and laugh. We'd toss them again and catch them. Not once did I toss them in the air and step aside and let them land and say, there, let that be a lesson to you. Never trust anybody. It was always the loving arms that will catch me. 
And my children learn to trust in me. God deserves our trust because over and over his loving arms have been beneath us and lifting us up. Jesus will would that he would not suffer. And yet he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Too often we say, not your will, but my will be done. We must be in harmony with Christ. Not my wants and dreams, but your will. Sometimes that will bring suffering, but always that will bring peace. And so it's like saying, God, I trust your judgment more than my own. And we're in that portion of the prayer where we build the relationship with the Father. Abba, Father, Father in heaven, your name is holy. I long for your will to be done. We are building this relationship with him in prayer. And that relationship is built upon this trust. And so often by the practical way we live our lives, we say, well, I know better than God. I will live my life the way I want to. Not God's will, but my will be done. Even when it comes to his kingdom, well, maybe, God, if I were you, this is what I would do. Why don't we allow God to decide what he should do and we find our place in the midst of that plan? Your will be done. A phrase can be said a lot of different ways. It can be said in defeated resignation. Well, God is too strong. Nothing I can do will be able to stand against him. His will be done. It can be said even in bitter resentment, as if God is the enemy and you're too strong for me, your will be done. Or we can say it the way it's meant to be said, in perfect love and trust. And two things come into play here when we say it in the right way. First of all, God's wisdom. We can trust him with our lives. When it comes to medical care, I find doctors that I can trust and I ask them for their advice about my physical body. I take my car to a mechanic that I trust implicitly. Tell me what I need to do. You're the expert. God is wise. And in all things about our lives, he knows better than us. His ways are higher than our ways. We trust him in his wisdom. It also speaks of God's great love. He loves us and gives to us as a loving father. It's what we spoke of last week as we entered in to this prayer that Jesus gives to us. I can't possibly look at the cross during the season of Lent and not see the grace of God. Look what God did for me in giving his son that I might have life. The cross is the witness of our value and God's grace. The passion of the Christ on the cross, obedient to death, even death on a cross. So first we ask, what is the kingdom of God? And then what is my role within that kingdom of God? And then the natural flow is, how involved must I be in his kingdom in order to be a subject of the king? Every cry of the prayer to this point has come from the deepest feeling. Our Father in heaven comes from the deepest love and respect for God. Hallowed be your name comes from our deepest reverence of who God is. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done. It says, I must have your will. I cannot settle for less. This is the deepest point of human surrender. And so our deepest love, our deepest reverence, our deepest surrender, right here in the first few phrases of this prayer, which is the pattern for our prayer. Jesus says, whenever you pray, this is how you pray. You come into my presence. You glorify my name. You recognize who I am. And you pledge your allegiance to serving me. May your kingdom come in my life. Jesus said in John chapter 4, my food is to do the will of my Father. This is not some afterthought. This is what we live on. Just as the word said, God lives within the praise of his people, we live within the will of God for our lives. His will is to be my number one consideration, my highest goal. Is that how it is for us this Sunday morning? I long for it to be. That God's will would be my first concern. God is ready for his kingdom to come within us, but he must have us. You go back to the creation story. God made this world out of nothing. But since that time, he uses those raw ingredients to do his miracles. Remember when he called Moses. What is that you have in your hand, Moses? Oh, that's my staff. I use it out here caring for these sheep. Just wait to see what I will do with that staff in your hand. What's that in your hand, David? Oh, just five small, small stones. He says, wait till you see what I'll do with just one of those stones. Jesus' first miracle in Cana of Galilee. There were these jugs of water that he used then to transform into wine to save the reputation of the wedding host. The feeding of the 5,000 started with a little lunch of five loaves and two fish. God delights in starting with something that we offer up to him. If you want a miracle, give God something to work with and then get involved. God can't build or repair without tools. God chooses not to build his kingdom without us. We're in partnership with God. You mean the God of the universe really needs us to build his kingdom? That's the way he's chosen to do it. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are partners together with God. In the 18th century, Sir Christopher Wren was an English architect who designed and built St. Paul's Cathedral in London. Massive, amazing structure. One day he decided to go down among the stonemasons. And he asked the first stonemason chiseling away, What are you doing? Without even looking up, he said, I'm chiseling on a piece of stone. What does it look like? Well, he went on to another mason. He said, what are you doing? He says, I'm earning six shillings a day to feed my family. He went on to another stonemason. He says, what are you doing? And without hesitation, he stood up and said, I'm helping Sir Christopher Wren build a cathedral to glorify God. To recognize what we're a part of. Every day as we rise, in Ephesians it says, God has prepared in advance good works for us to perform. We look around for what those good works are. How can I be of service to you today? Every day, seek what God wants you to do and move into that vision. 
Paul said to the Corinthian church in both his first and second letter, we are God's fellow workers. Partnership with God himself. Think of the story of the little mouse that was on the back of the elephant. The elephant went across this rickety bridge and they get to the other side and the mouse said, we really made that bridge shake, didn't we? We are obviously the junior partner in this partnership with God. It is God who gives the increase. Paul said, I planted Apollos water. God is the one who comes in and does everything. We recognize God's power, but he gives us this dignity of participation in his kingdom. Pascal said the dignity of causality, that we could be a part of the very kingdom of God. Whenever I have opportunity, I love to see a potter at work at a potter's wheel. To fashion out of a lump of clay something of youthfulness and usefulness and something of beauty. I was talking to a potter one time as he was working that lump of clay. And he was saying the clay has to be in perfect condition. Any slight flaw and the whole thing will crumble apart. Any resistance to my hands, a little pebble, a little hair, anything that would mess up the flow of the clay. I want to be moldable clay in the potter's hands. The illustration is there from Isaiah all through various places in Scripture. He is the potter. We are the clay. Allow God to fashion you to be moldable in his hands. And so Jesus said, we should pray, not my will, but your will be done. What is the will of God? We seek it all the time. Some things we know clearly in Scripture are God's will. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is God's will for you, even your sanctification. He wants to move us ahead into purity. Being confident of this, that he who began that good work will carry it on to completion. That's God's will. Our maturity, our faithfulness, our growth in him. We looked at Romans 12 too. We long to do God's perfect will. Don't be... Conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. Many say they love God, but fear his will for them. We want to seek his very best. Hear these words from Ephesians chapter 1. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. The mystery of his will that we would be united in Christ Jesus. Over in Colossians, we read this word from Paul. We proclaim him, Jesus Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. We long to be partners together with God In this kingdom, can we pray, thy will be done? We're still in this opening section of the prayer where we're connecting with God the Father. Don't we long to know him in that way? If you're listening to this service this morning in your living room, wherever you are, and say, I'm really not there yet, wouldn't you love to be there now? In that relationship with God, that says, my loving Father, I honor you. I recognize your holiness. I want your kingdom to come within me. It's just that willingness 
that he seeks. That we would be willing to serve. Willing to be his. Pray with me where you are, will you? Father, I pray that the truth of your word would resonate in our hearts on this second Sunday morning of Lent. That we would recognize the incredible sacrifice that you made for us and realize that anything that we give in return seems like nothing in comparison. But you welcome us and the angels rejoice when one sinner repents. Father, we long in this Lenten season to see your face, to seek you in your fullness. And so we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May God give you a week filled with his presence. And as we come in this anticipation of Easter, as we move up these weeks toward Holy Week and our view of the cross, may we ask to see his face. May we ask to do his will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God bless you. Have a great day in the presence of the Lord.